0: Pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word and the time we get to spend in it. it was, we watched the church go through some conflict and uh, try to find a resolution. And uh, there's a time to stand up for doctrine. There's a time to let things go and uh, not argue because we don't want to hurt the people that are overhearing or listening. Um, but there's a time to stand up for it. And it's a time for grace. It's a time for mercy. And it's a time for uh, clarity. And so we thank you for putting this in here, that Luke took the time to write this down and to show us that it wasn't smooth all the time, that there were fleshy moments for the church where they had to get past some traditions, um, things that uh, assumptions they had made, Lord, and um, and that they had to be taught. And so, Lord, we thank you for teachable men. In Jesus' name, amen. Which is what we want to be. We want to be teachable. Um. Acts fifteen is titled most in most of the Bible's conflict over circumcision, and uh, it's more than that. Obviously, it had nothing really to do with the act of circumcision, but everything that it had to do with what it meant. And it's a big uh, doctrinal issue. It wasn't one that Paul or any of the guys were willing to just let go as let's let bygones be bygones or let's just agree to disagree. No, we're gonna we need to get this straightened out. Um, it wasn't okay to let this go, to have that kind of conflict within the church. Teaching two different approaches to Christianity wasn't acceptable. We try to do that here. Uh, We're very careful about who we have teach in different locations in the the building or whatever, what Bible studies we endorse, Um, because we have to know the people. We have to know what they believe. We have to know where they stand on certain things. Um, we're not going to have that conflict within the fellowship. You can go to another church and listen to them teach it a different way if you want to. But within these halls, we want to make sure that we have a a unified uh, voice, uh, be led of the Spirit in the same direction, have the same vision. This is much bigger than just Calvary Chapel getting our act together and having everybody teach the same thing in Sunday school or in a, a midweek study or a Sunday morning. This has to do with the church teaching that Um, It was something beyond belief in Jesus Christ that was going to get you saved. That's about the only thing you need to take away from this tonight. If you want to tune out for the rest of the night, you cannot add anything to the belief in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Nothing can be added to that. And there are countless things being added to it in Christendom all the time well, you're not really saved if, and you're not really saved if, if you're not really saved if, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he was resurrected from the dead, that he sits at the right hand of the father right now and and ever lives to make intercession for you, that he is the only way to get to heaven. He is the only way of salvation. It's belief. Everything else is a ceremony. It is a, a tradition. It is uh, an act to show what's already happened. And we have to be very careful about that. Circumcision is, is the conflict of choice. But if you can understand chapter 15 in your own walk with Jesus, which is why we study, if we can understand chapter 15 and what the conflict was really about over circumcision, it's not about removing the foreskin. It's about what that meant for the person. You can apply this truth to every Everything. I don't, you don't have to take the time to wonder about this tradition or this ceremony or this or that or the other. We have, there are so many to name. If we can understand chapter 15 and the doctrine that goes along with it in the heart of the Father, we can apply it universally to all these things and we can, we can throw them out really quickly because it interferes with the belief in Jesus Christ as the way of salvation for believers. That's it. Very important. So in verse 1 of chapter 15, and certain men there's always certain men, came down from Judea and taught the brethren, quote, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others from them or of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. This is a denominational rift. We complain about denominations, but... This is it. Even in the book of Acts, you have a denominational rift. Those who are of us are going to go up with those who are of you. And we're going to get this straightened out with the big wigs up in Jerusalem. We need to get this straightened out. What happened to the scripture verse? I became all things to all men, Paul. All things to all men. Oh, well, you know, if you think circumcision is a big deal, that's okay. Just, we'll just do the circumcision thing because it was much bigger than that. Doctrine is very, very important for us to understand and to know, to be able to defend, to be able to explain to people. Because when you understand doctrine, when you understand it, it's not doctrine, it's not heady knowledge, it's not uh, scholarly, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with understanding your faith. We're called to work out our own salvation. We need to understand how and why we're saved. And just quoting John 3.16 over and over again doesn't tell us that we have that in our heart or can understand or apply it even in different areas. I love it when my kids, when I ask them about what happened in Sunday school, they can not parrot back to me verbatim, chapter and verse, but when they can explain to me the heart of the lesson and the father who wrote it. That means they understand it. That means it's moved from here to here and they can then apply it to every situation in their life. They don't have to just have this parroting back of verses. When we can understand chapter 15, we'll be able to understand why Paul didn't let this go, why there was a great dissension and dispute among these guys that they weren't going to just let sleeping dogs lie. No, we're going to deal with this. We're not going any further. The mission trip stops. Ministry ends right here. Everybody quits and goes to get this resolved because if we say another word that's not true and we teach anybody from here on out something that's not biblical or something that Jesus or by the Holy Spirit we're supposed to teach, we gotta undo it. We need to get this figured out in our own hearts first. Very important. So there is a time when you don't eat meat in front of somebody because you don't want to cause the weaker brother to stumble. There's a time when you eat salad. I have never met one of those moments yet. I eat steak all the time. (laughs) Because you want to share the gospel with them. But eventually I need to have a nice juicy steak in front of my salad eating friend. Because no matter what you think about any of that, the Bible does clearly state they're the weaker brother. And I don't want him to remain weak. I want him to be strong. You can eat meat. I don't think it's right. Okay. I don't want to argue about that. Let's talk about something else. But eventually, we got to have steak together. You got to get to that place and understand that. And so Paul draws a line here. This is a hill for him to die on. You are not going to be going around right behind our ministry and tell the brand new believers who have just received grace and mercy from their Father in heaven at the expense of the blood of Jesus Christ and tell them, that's great, but you're really not saved because you still have foreskin. And I'm trying to be very delicate this evening, but it's going to be really hard for me. And so all the brothers who just got saved and baptized and thought they were saved, here comes the Judaizers, and they begin to talk to them, and they're all starting to do this. Oh, I don't think so. I'm having second thoughts about this Jesus thing. And it infuriates Paul. You just stole freedom, peace, love, gentleness, long-suffering, patience, kindness. You just stole everything that God had just blessed them with. They had removed the weight of their sin from their life. The guilt and shame is gone. And you guys came in right behind them and just put another backpack right on top of them. A legalistic backpack. Like, oh, this isn't as great as I thought it was. So it's kind of the same old thing. It is. Jesus didn't fulfill the law. He hasn't completed the law. He just died for some sins, but now I've got to do this, or I didn't really get, that doesn't apply. The blood doesn't apply. So they dispute, and they have dissension. If you turn to chapter 11, we've gone through that with these guys before. These guys from Judea keep showing up. We thought we had handled it in chapter 11. They seem to have understood chapter 11. It says, Now when the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God, when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. They've already had this conversation with these guys. And so they went through all of chapter 11. We studied all over chapter 11, and we went, da, 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 da. They did this. They told them this. It was a beautiful thing. Look at the miracles, the signs, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Don't you see that God is still working? And at the end of it, what did they say in verse 18? When they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance of life. They're a bunch of liars. Because no more than four chapters later, Yo, that's great. I guess God's God's really touched the Gentiles. They wait for Paul and those guys to leave and they sneak in behind him and say, you still have to be circumcised. They didn't receive it back in 11. They didn't buy it. They're still there. They're like, no, 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 no. We're gonna deal with this. Let's go up to Jerusalem and talk to the apostles. That's very important. There is a time. And you know why it's a point? It isn't about the Judaizers. It's not about the guys from Judea. If it was just the Judean guys who said to Paul and Barnabas, I'm struggling with the idea of not having circumcision being a part of our festivals, rituals, part of salvation, then you can calmly talk to them and have some time. It's not about them, though. What they're doing is they're herding sheep. They're eating sheep. They're damaging God's flock. And that can't be left unchallenged. It has to be challenged. Oh, I'm tired of all the negativity. Can't we just be positive all the time? We'd love to be positive if there weren't a bunch of liars like this and creeps coming in behind us trying to steal sheep and hurt them. It's a very bad thing. To watch someone whose light is being extinguished right before your eyes because of legalism coming into their lives. It breaks your heart. As someone who has been sent free, Paul says, I have come to dispense grace. He's a dispenser of grace. Wherever he goes, he dispenses grace because he's been where these Judaizers have been and more so. And he's also felt what these new believers have felt. He says, we're not going back to that. I'm not letting that hurt anybody else. I've been through that. I know what that's like. No, no, no. And he stands up for these um, these new believers that are brokenhearted. So being sent on their way back in chapter 15, ministry stopped. They're all on their way to go to Jerusalem now by the church. They passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. Some people got it. That's exciting. We're overjoyed to hear that. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, that means these are Pharisees who believed on Jesus Christ for salvation, rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. That's fine that they're believers, but they've got to come through Judaism to get to Jesus. You can't just be Gentile Jesus. It's got to be Gentile Jewish Jesus. That's the route. I don't know why that's so important to them. I don't know why. I hate to think that it's still a power thing for them like it was with Jesus. Jesus had lots of people following him. He was teaching freedom. There's a lot of joy, a lot of healings, a lot of wonders, a lot of people being happy about their relationship with God, and they weren't. So there's a jealousy going on there and they didn't like that. I would like to think that these guys are genuine believers and they're just misunderstanding grace and what it means. And they're terrified of moving away from something that was so entrenched in their walk with God before Jesus to throw it away. So haphazardly might be the wrong move. So let's make sure everybody's circumcised. That's what I'm hoping is happening with these guys. That it isn't just jealousy. That they are not just stuck. That they haven't just attached Jesus to their old walk but they has truly fulfilled all the law, which is what they don't understand. It is a very hard thing to grasp that Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law for us. He's fulfilled it. Does that mean I don't keep the 10 commandments? No, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I wanna keep the 10 commandments because those are good. All the law is good. There's nothing wrong with the law. The problem runs into the fact that, or comes into play, the problem is, that the law can only point out that I failed. It cannot ingratiate me to God. It doesn't help. Obedience to the law is um, the zero sum. That's the starting point. So already you're supposed to have done that. Being obedient to the law doesn't elevate you, doesn't bring you any closer to God. It's the bare minimum to even be in existence in God's creation. Keeping the law is is just normal. It's status, It's, it's status, it's just there. Okay, all the law can do is to tell you when you've dropped below that threshold of acceptance of the ability to exist in this world without any consequences. That's all it can do. It can, law can only point you've now failed and therefore you've fallen below and now consequences are required. They are, and we have that in our own society. Being obedient to the law, being an upstanding citizen isn't just keeping the law. It means you're doing things above and beyond what the law would expect you to do. Just driving the speed limit or just uh, not robbing somebody or whatever. You know, nobody's, hi, I don't rob people. You know, it's wow, you're a nice guy. You know, that's expected. It's expected. The law can only say you did rob somebody. Now you've fallen below the threshold of our society's tolerances. And now there is a consequence for that or there should be. At times. Or you're, you're warned or whatever, you know. But it's, it, all it can do is point the finger is the point. That's all it can do is point the finger. Th- these guys have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, but still believe that all these other things are necessary. So what has happened with them? There's a problem. Uh, and it comes out in a funny way. It comes out towards not themselves or inner conflict with their own walk with God. It comes out as bringing other people under the same condemnation that they're feeling in their lives. They try to pull people in. Misery loves company is the idea. Well, I, got, I had to get circumcised. It wasn't fun. They need to get circumcised. You know, there's just this idea that people need to fall into that. So they've run into this. And so all ministry has stopped. The Pharisees have stepped up and said, no, yeah, he died. But we still need to do all these things. They don't understand what circumcision meant, what the circumcision was for. And so they're going to get instructed. And here's the key. They've all come. Here's the scene. They've all come into the presence of the apostles, into the elders, and there's brethren. Those are just levels of guys in charge in the church, you know, brethren, elders, apostles. And because God's given some to be apostles, some to be teachers, some to be pastors, it's his order, not ours. So he's done this. They're all sitting there amongst themselves. And there's two groups of people. One thinks that you need to be circumcised. The other group says, absolutely not. That has nothing to do with the Gentiles. There's nothing to do with them. And so now they've got to work this out. And so they've got a conflict in the church and they're trying to work it out. Now there's got to be some authority here because someone has to stand up and say, This is how it's going to be at the end of this conversation. And those are the apostles. They have the authority. And although they've had this conversation in chapter 11, where it seemed that they understood it, that was just brother to brother. And when they parted ways, they still had their own same opinions and they still had the same problems and nothing nothing got resolved. We have to bring it to somebody who has authority so that we can get this straightened out. And they're supposed to submit to that authority in the church. So, verse six. Now, the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, now, that's a fast verse there. There was a lot said. And Luke says, none of it was worth writing down. I notice that. What he does write down, I notice what he takes the time to say. And there was much dispute, which was just a bunch of people arguing about it. Back and forth. The Holy Spirit had not entered the discussion yet. Which, remember, this book is all about the acts of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to watch here as the Holy Spirit comes upon a few men in this conversation, and all of a sudden, light is brought into this dark, cloudy area of doctrine. And when they speak, everybody goes, Of course. Not because they're eloquent, not because they were leaders, not because they were apostles, because the Holy Spirit who indwelled them said something and it made sense and everybody could receive it, okay? So there was much disputing. Here's some of the things that would have been said because Paul doesn't write down everything, or Luke doesn't write down everything Paul said. Here's some of the things Paul said about circumcision in other books that he wrote. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 18 through 20, because Paul has gone down this road and he This is a bone he won't let go of. He is serious about it. I'm going to fight on this one. Everywhere he goes, Corinthians, Romans, Ephesians, Galatians, every single letter almost he writes about this subject right here because it's that big of a deal doctrinally. Because it isn't about the removing of foreskin. It's about the receiving of grace completely and relying on it. So, chapter 7, verse 18, was anyone called while circumcised? Were you, any Jewish people called? Let him not become uncircumcised. I don't know how you do that. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. With those two phrases, he's saying it doesn't matter. That's something in the past. That's not something we're moving forward with. This is not a part of what we're talking about. It's not a part of the gospel. It's not a part of our relationship with God. Were you uncircumcised when you got saved? Great. Were you circumcised when you got saved? Whatever. Don't change. Circumcision is nothing, he says. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commands of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Oh, it says we're supposed to keep the commands. It says it right there, we're supposed to keep the commands. Yes, like Abraham. Abraham, at one point, God says to him, it was accounted to him as righteousness because he believed God. That's before circumcision was given to Abraham. He believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. That's what means by doing the commandments, by keeping the commandments. I believe that this is right. I believe this is what God wants me to do. I'm doing this. Circumcision was never meant as the means by which you obey the commandments. It's just something to show that you're one of those people that obeys the commandments. It's a a badge of honor, a badge of uh, belonging. We don't have those anymore. That's outward stuff. The badge that shows that you're a believer in Jesus Christ is that you keep the commandments. Not know them not recite them. I think you have to know them to keep them, but that's not the point. Some people think just knowing them is keeping them, and it isn't. Knowing them isn't keeping them. You have to keep these commandments, and that's how people know. They will know you are Christians by your love, he says. The fact that you're doing it is what people will, that's your circumcision. I mean, if you want to take a step back, and and I'm trying not to get too... Well, I'm always two, but that's what the church is. The church is a giant circumcision that's taken place. God has come into humanity in its totality, in its completeness, and has carved out for himself, away from his church, the flesh. And now all that remains is the circumcised outcome, the removing of the flesh. That's what he wants to do in each one of us. Collectively, as a church, he wants to take away the flesh out of the church and individually wants to take the flesh out of your life. Fleshiness. The outward symbol that these guys are talking about has nothing to do with the inward work of the heart. And they were making it a part of the salvation, and that's not it. It can't be. It cannot be. It makes the grace and the gospel of no effect if there's something added to it. It doesn't just dilute it, it makes it void. You understand how serious this is? It takes time to chew on this and to think about it and to meditate on these words and to grasp this grace that he's given us. But to add anything to the grace nullifies the grace. You can't. It's a very dangerous thing. So if we can understand chapter 15, we'll be able to apply it to all sorts of things that happens in the church. Communion. Gotta have communion. Not for salvation, you don't. It's a ritual. It's something we do. It's something that he's given us. It's a reminder for us to remember what he's done. But it's not salvation, nor can it be added to that nor any of the other rituals we try to add to salvation. Belief in Jesus Christ is it. It's not the starting point. It's the only point in salvation. Grace is everything. In Romans chapter 2, verses 25 through 29, circumcision of no avail is the title of the section. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Again, I don't know how that happens, but it doesn't matter that you've been physically circumcised if you don't keep the law. It's of no value to you. It didn't do anything. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? Just what we said. When a believer in Jesus Christ begins to remove the flesh from his life, he is circumcised. Spiritually circumcised. He's taking away that. That's how, if you want to be circumcised, do that. Get rid of all the fleshy things in your life. And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who even with your written code and circumcision are transgressors of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward of the flesh or in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Romans chapter 4, a few chapters later, verses 9 through 12. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only, or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but uncircumcised. In other words, that statement came before God gave him circumcision. He was already righteous before that happened. The fact that it happened afterward is because he was faithful first. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who not only um, are of the circumcision, but, the, but who also walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. In other words, we follow Abraham's example in belief. That's how we become believers. Like Abraham was a believer in God by following in belief. So, and that's all the cross references I have for tonight. So we'll finish up the chapter here as we go through. So they get together. There's no small dispute. There's a lot of things going on. A lot of things are said, probably some of this stuff. Then Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, God's going to use three people here to speak to these guys. Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that my, by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. He's already told them the story. They know it. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. You all know that happened. You all testified to it. You all said that was great. You all believed it was of God. Remember I told you this. Yes, yes, we do. We do. So the Holy Spirit is the seal. That's the evidence. That's the fact that God put a stamp of approval on the Gentiles. Now, therefore, now this is going to blow them out of the water here. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? None of us could keep the law. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we as Jews shall be saved the same manner as they, the Gentiles, not the other way around. It it got that bad for them. Okay, well, we're Jewish people, so we have to get circumcised, and we need to go through those routes. And I guess since they're Gentiles, none of this stuff really applies. They still kind of follow that today over there. In Israel, they think Jesus is our Messiah, not their Messiah. He's your Messiah. you Gentiles Messiah? No, he's your Messiah too. No, 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 no. And so what Peter just did was he reversed the whole thing. Not only do you do they not have to become us, I'm here to tell you, we got to become Gentiles to get saved like they did. Blasphemy. I mean, you should have heard, you can almost hear the gasping in the room as Peter looks at them and says, we're supposed to get saved like they are through grace, not by the law. That's an eye opener for the Pharisees who thought not only that their own walk with God depended upon whether they kept the law or not, we have Jesus. Jesus to them was an additional law. I pause for effect because I think that's very important to the to the Jews who didn't understand grace. Jesus was an additional law. Okay, so now we got to keep the Ten Commandments, and we got to keep the Mishnah, and we got to keep the uh, follow the Torah and read the and we got to have Jesus also. And they're trying to open their eyes to this beauty because they don't have their backpacks off yet. They don't have the weight of this world, the weight and responsibility off yet. They're still laden down and they're still trying to get other people laden down with them with guilt and shame like they are. And so not only are they trying to stop them from putting backpacks on other people, they're desperately trying to get the backpacks off of them to open their eyes to see. You know that you don't have to do that stuff anymore for salvation. It's... It's from salvation that you're obedient to God. It's because what he's done for you that you can have this beautiful, obedient, holy walk with the Lord. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul. So now they're dumbfounded. What? So now Barnabas and Paul step up. So Peter's the first guy. Now Barnabas and Paul step up. Paul's probably the one speaking. Declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent... So they got to share a little bit, and Luke doesn't write too much about Paul and Barnabas because we've got so much other things written about them. James, the third guy, stands up. James seems to have a word from the Lord, a word of knowledge, or a word of wisdom. Word of knowledge is really when you know something that somebody else doesn't know you know, but you do because the Holy Spirit showed you. That's a word of knowledge that's a gift of the Spirit. A word of wisdom just... Ah, oh, it's an ah, it's an aha moment. It's that perfect, time, perfect answer for the, for the problem, you know. James answered and said, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon, Peter, has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. So what Paul, or what Peter just said about him going to the Gentiles, that was prophesied about, and James is going to quote that to them. So what he just said happened is biblical, and it's out of Amos chapter 9. The prophecy says, after this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who dwells or who does all these things. So he quotes the Bible. Don't you remember this prophecy? Maybe the first time any of them, oh, that's right. He did say he was going to go after the Gentiles. Oh, so what we're witnessing is really of God. That must've been a struggle for these guys, these Pharisees. These guys, these Gentiles getting saved. So this is okay. Because they were already having a hard time with it. How is it, Peter, in chapter 11, that you went into the circumcised people? This is our Messiah. This is for the uncircumcised. This is for the circumcised people, not the uncircumcised. What are you doing there? You need to get out of there. No, no, you understand. The Holy Spirit fell on them. God's in this. Okay, if you say so. Well, then let's at least get them circumcised. No, 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 no. So when James says to this, no, this is prophesied about, now they have something to hold on to, which is very important for someone who's trying to come out of legalism. Give me something. I don't want just your opinion that I'm not supposed to do this anymore, that I don't have to do this. I want to know where it says in the Bible that I'm not supposed to do this anymore or that this is okay, that you're saying is okay. It says it right here in Amos. That he's going to go after the Gentiles and get them saved. What we're seeing is this, this fulfillment. Verse 18. No to God from eternity are all his works. In other words, he can kind of do what he wants to do. And if he's unfolding something before our eyes that we didn't get before, that's okay. He can do that. Therefore, I judge, James says, that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. We're troubling them. We're not here to trouble them. That is not our job as administrators, as people in leadership in the church to trouble these new believers with laws that I can't even keep and you can't keep, he says. He picks circumcision because that's an easy target. I mean, how hard is that? This hold still, you know, kind of thing. Well, what about all the things that are going on in your mind, which is exactly why Paul came to know the Lord. I understand that I need to be circumcised. I need to keep the law. That I need to pray. I need to read my Bible. I need to offer up sacrifices. I could do all that, but what I couldn't do, what was going on in my heart, what was going on in my mind, I couldn't touch those two things. I had no way of stopping myself from sinning inside. And knowing that I was guilty was driving me crazy. And so I do more and more crazy stuff for God in the name of God. To make sure he knew I was really religious and super on board with his team. Even though my mind and my heart were corrupted. So they know that's all happening. And so what he's saying here is, let's not trouble them. God's relieved them of a burden. Let them be. And so now we get this thing that's always been kind of a struggle for, I think, about everybody that's ever read the Bible, this next section here. That's normal to be bothered by this. So if you're bothered by this, it's normal. We'll try to work our way through it. We don't want to trouble them, but, we, but that we write to them to abstain. I think that's the key word, circle that, abstain, steer clear of, avoid. Things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. Weren't we just talking about grace and how there's not supposed to be a bunch of rules and laws and regulations? So we're not going to do all that circumcision stuff, but let's write them four things that they're not supposed to do. Everybody, it, uh, it does. It makes your brain hurt. Why would you do this? And it should. It should. Because it seems to be inconsistent. Now, I don't know what Paul's face looks like right here, nor do I want to speculate. And I don't know if there's a palm print on his forehead at this point. Like, uh, there is for me, but here's, here's, here's what I'm going to teach, and here's what I believe is happening. we got a problem in the church, and it's disunity right now. We've got difficulty. We've got a group over here. We've got a group over here. I don't think we should trouble them with all the things we can't do, especially circumcision. That's just not part of it. We know that. But let's have them steer clear of the stuff that the world does that the people that worship other gods do, because that's where a lot of these things come from. This is not normally how you eat things. You don't eat things that have been offered up to idols. That's kind of a pagan thing. That's a thing that uh, people that are worshiping other gods do. They should steer clear of that stuff. And, And that is in other sections of scripture also. Don't do it. Just avoid it for the sake of the conscience of the person offering it to you, Paul says. From sexual immorality, that's a good thing to steer clear of. It's okay to write that to people. Don't, uh, in the Corinthian church, we know about this. I, I probably teach it every time we come up with the Corinthians. Ever the, the the temple that was in Corinth, they would the, the prostitutes that were known by their, their shaved heads, it would come down at night and earn money for the temple, but also as an act of worship, submit their bodies to whomever. Needed it or wanted it kind of thing. And the guys that would pay for this opportunity with this young gal who was a priestess from up top of the temple, she was more holy because she sacrificed her body. They got money for the temple. I mean, it was quite a racket, okay? But there's more than that. It's not just that moment. It's not like that was the thing at the time. It was one thing. Avoid that. You probably shouldn't have to tell a believer to avoid a prostitute, but okay, let's write that down, you know, kind of thing. But also, this sexual morality in general is a sin that hurts and harms and isn't okay with God. And maybe you needed to know that as a Gentile who's never been. Remember how he had to write to the Ephesians? Hey guys, this is what marriage looks like as a Christian. Because as unbelievers, you've never been taught this. So let me tell you what a Christian marriage looks like. One man and one woman. What? I mean, that was eye-opening to them. What about the other seven women? Yeah, we want to avoid seven women and one guy kind of thing. We're going for one and one, and and it's forever. It's forever. Forever? Forever. And he goes through the process, and, and guess what? You need to serve each other. You need to serve your wife, and she needs to serve you. So no matter what part of the spectrum you are on, as far as maybe a male chauvinist who doesn't think they need to serve their wife, you do or you think you're a women's liber over here doesn't think they need to serve their husband. You do. You need to. Because as Christians, we serve each other, first and foremost. And just because you're married doesn't mean that ends. That doesn't stop. And so he had to write to these churches, these unbelievers, you know, you really need to have one wife and one husband, and you need to stop flirting around, you need to stop doing this. And So sexual immorality, you can see that. From things strangled and from blood, leaving the blood in the animal was something pagans wouldn't do. What God wanted them to do was to cut it open and to let it all bleed out. Horrific scene to watch that unfold as as they did it back in the day, but that's probably why I don't visit a lot of slaughterhouses either. I just rather have my meat in plastic when I first see it, you know, (laughs) I'm not interested in the process really. But the blood being drained out and things strangled, that's different. That's a act of, 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 it's a ritualistic act for these worship of these other gods. It's part of it. So not to excuse it away or try to, I don't know that I made it better for anybody tonight because I know you're, you struggle with this. It's, it's different. But I understand that. And I think as we, as we just went through Revelation and we just went through one of the churches that describes some of the things that they taught the people to do, Um, Let me read that to you. I didn't have this as a planned cross-reference, but let's read it so that we understand. um, I'm not in the right book, hold on. This is what happens when I don't plan for this. It's, uh, it's the Church of Thyatira, and it's in chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 20. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, Church of Thyatira, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, prophetess, to, to teach and seduce my servants to commit, here we go, sexual immorality, um, and eat things sacrificed to idols, which kind of sums up the last three in that four-thing list that we just read. Um I gave her time to repent from her sexual immorality and she did not repent. And so they get in the big trouble to the point where they're going to go in the great tribulation if they don't turn things around. So these are four things that are kind of important as a believer. Yes, you're saved. I'm not talking about salvation here, but salvation, like James said, should produce a change in a person's life. And these are some of the main things that should change. These are things that should change like radically right away. You don't need to play around with these things at all. Sexual immorality, That needs to stop now, 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 now. We don't work our way through that. That sexual immorality needs to stop now. Worshiping other gods, that needs to stop now. It's funny to say out loud, but let's write these four things to these guys to stop worshiping other gods and to stop having sexual immorality in their lives. Let's work on nothing wrong with telling them that that's important. And the word abstain, I think, is very important. It has nothing to do with salvation, but you need to look and act and start becoming holy in your life, and these four things are a good start. So they write the decree. Then it pleased the apostles and elders and the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. So they didn't trust Paul and Barnabas to deliver by themselves. Some of those other guys from Judea had to go along with them to make sure that you make sure you make them read that four Section part, you know, not just the no circumcision thing, make sure they've got those four things. Somehow this brought some unity at the time. To send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barnabas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter to them. The apostles, the elders, and the brethren. To the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. (laughs) Now, you're in the church who just saw this huge argument about people cutting off foreskins to be saved and they all left for a while, weeks probably, and you've been sitting back home waiting for the response. Are we getting circumcised or are we not getting circumcised? Let me tell you, all eyes are on these guys as they read the letter. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such command or commandment. It seemed good to us to uh, being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Doesn't mention the other guys. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who are actually on board with Paul and Barnabas. They're good guys who will also report the same, but none of the Judaizers are there. You understand? None of the guys that were the circumcised guys. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from the things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you'll do well. You'll do well with your walk, but it is your walk, and it is your walk already. We're adding to this, not for salvation, but this is important to your walk. Farewell. So then, uh, so when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. I bet. <laughs> Now, Judas and Silas themselves being prophets also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Silas is hooked. I like this. I like this mission field. I'd like to be a part of this. This is exciting. Can I stay? Yeah. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord, with many others also. So they just you know, taught and got everybody on board and, and it was a wonderful moment, wonderful moment. Now, more controversy. That isn't the only controversy in this chapter. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Let's go back and check on them, see how they're going. That's, that's a good thing. Now, Barnabas was determined to take with them, John called Mark. Remember him? He's the mama's boy who went running home during the middle of the missions trip. I don't like it. They remember that ran into that, that sorcerer guy and blinded him. And I mean, some crazy stuff happened during that ministry. And John Mark was like, I shouldn't be on this mission field. So he went home. So Paul says to Barnabas, we should not take John Mark with us, he says the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. He didn't get stoned to death. He didn't get beat. He got scared. He went home to mom. We're going back to see these guys. No, no, no. We don't want him. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Barnabas that went and found Paul while he was still Saul, encouraged him in the Lord, you know. Paul says, absolutely not. They could not agree on this John Mark issue. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Fine. But Paul chose Silas and he departed. Fine. Being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. So now instead of two or one missionary trip, you got two missionary trips going on. That's our nice way of saying it all worked out for good. I don't leave it there though. These two godly men, these two guys full of the Holy Spirit, could not agree on this kid. And I want to make note of this, although later on, Paul encourages someone to bring John Mark to me. He's of value to me now, and probably because Barnabas took him under his wing and helped him along in the Lord and did like one-on-one discipleship or whatever it was that, you know that John Mark needed, a little, a little less. Um, intense ministry, you know, and to bring him along because he came along. So all that happened. The scriptures don't follow Barnabas and 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 John Mark. The scriptures follow Paul and Silas. I take note of that. I think Paul had a point. I think that's fine. If John Mark doesn't want, if you know, if if John Mark wants to do ministry, but he can't do this ministry, right? we cannot have that on us. And he, Paul felt very strongly about this. Now I don't know if Barnabas was on board or not or understood Paul's point is what i mean but he decided to you know what paul i'm kind of done with it i'm going my own direction right now well, that's fine but the holy spirit and scripture doesn't follow barnabas and john mark i think that's important it follows paul at this time in church history they needed a paul they needed a very sharp end of the spear someone who wasn't going to shrink at adversity, someone who wasn't going to succumb to pressures, that wasn't going to quit the ministry when things get hard. Being a pioneer like Paul is right here is not for everybody. After the pioneering is done, all the trees have been cleared out, all the stumps removed, all the rocks removed, and their first crop has been laid, then maybe John Mark can come alongside and help with the gathering in. That's fine. But he wasn't cut out for the hard stuff. And we can see that here. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, he's the guy, you know, he likes to help. And John Mark, well, he's kind of scared, but he's going to be, you know, valuable later on. That's fine. But right now we need a Paul. Very few people are Paul's. Very few people can withstand what comes some, you know, there's a headwind that comes and attacks a ministry when you begin to go into territory that is not friendly, that's behind enemy lines, which is what Paul's ministry was entirely he would go in and start preaching to people that did not want to hear or didn't even know it was going to be starting, they were going to start hearing. Hey, hey, men and brethren, gather around, listen up. What? We're worshiping Diana over here. Well, stop that. Come over here. I'm going to tell you about someone who's real. And begins to tell, you know, oh, they didn't like that. You know, he's that guy. Um... I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord tonight. Some of you come just be a little bit encouraged, have a night with God and all, but we don't read things like this unless they're going to become applicable in our lives. We're going to need a lot of Pauls out there and a lot of Paulinas out there. People that can be the sharp end of the spear, people that can withstand, that can hold up that are standing upon the truth of grace They understand their grace. They know why they're saved. They know how they got saved. They know who keeps them, who holds them. They understand doctrine. They understand and they believe and they can hold their ground no matter what comes against them. That is what the world is going to need and needs right now. There are room, there is room for Barnabases. There is room for John Marks. They're very important, but they are secondary. They come in to water. They come in to gather, but they have a very hard time with actually planting with clearing ground, with going into unfriendly territory. I just want to encourage you. That's a great prayer to pray. You may not feel like you're that person. I don't know that I could do that, but it's a good prayer to pray. God, make me stronger. Help me to understand more fully The salvation, help me to work it out like you tell me to in scriptures, my own salvation. Help me to stand strong for Jesus Christ. I don't know what's coming our way. I don't know what's coming my way, but I wanna make sure that I'm able to stand when it does come. So do whatever you need to do to me to make me hardened and ready. Soft heart, heart of a child, skin of a rhino. Very important. Soft heart, heart of a child, but skin of a rhino when it comes to being a believer. That Like Paul, none of these things move me. None of these external things move me. Stoning me, shipwrecked, beaten. Eh. Jesus. Nothing's going to move me from Jesus. It's a good prayer to pray. Lord, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul's boldness to the point where he even stood up to his friend Barnabas. Someone who ministered to him when he was absent from the body of Christ. They, they didn't want him. They didn't accept him. And he knew he needed to follow you and that this is such a time as this. He was called to be that person, to be bold in Jerusalem, to be bold with the Judaizers, the circumcisers. He was bold with Barnabas. He was just, he's just flat out bold. And later on when he, they asked him for prayer, he says, just pray that I might have boldness. Would I pray that for us tonight, that we might have boldness. We might have courage. That we wouldn't be fearful. We wouldn't be afraid in these last days. We stand up for you stand up for truth, and then we'd stand up for it because we know it's true, because we not only believe it, but we understand it. We can communicate it to other people. We can share with our friends and family, not just a platitude about God or about Jesus, but we can explain to them this salvation, understanding this grace, how complete and full and total it is. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you.